We'll continue our second reading in Romans 15, 1 to 13, which is on page 36 of your church book. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, rejoice you Gentiles with this people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the people extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Just as a side note, uh, last Sunday I was at uh, MBM uh, Church Reedy Hill, Multicultural Bar Ministry, the church that I grew up in, and they celebrated 30 years last uh, Sunday as a church, and so I passed on your congratulations and big happy birthday from us to them, and they pass on their gratitude uh, to you for letting me go and, and speak there. Uh, it was a good, great honour to see a church that I grew up in and uh, to reach that 30-year mark. But I want to begin today by talking about a fight that happened amongst us as a staff team. Got your attention, I see. Yes. (laughs) It all happened because of this, a fork. Leon Chen, uh, our intern, uh, I asked him over staff lunch, I said, oh, how's married life? He's fresh to marriage. How's, you know, uh, living together and all that? And he said, oh, no, it's going well, it's going well. There's, you know, some learning the differences between simple things like how to stack the dishwasher and whether, you know, forks go this way or that way in the dishwasher. At which point, Nick, our youth pastor, piped up and said, well, clearly they go down, right? They need to go down in the dishwasher because it's a safety thing. Tan, our media coordinator, and said, no, 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 they need to go up. It's not a knife. It's not about safety. Then they go up to wash all the gunk out, right? At which point, Andrew West said, no, 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 I've read the manual, right? I've read the dishwasher manual, and the manual clearly says you need to put them down, right? And Liz Hennessy, our office manager, said, no, 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 they need to go up. They need to go up. At which point, uh, Curtis Smith, whose birthday it was today, looked around and said, I'm so glad this is the conversation we're having on my birthday. <laughs> it's amazing how the smallest of things can lead to the biggest of debates. Conflict has always been there in the church from the very beginning. Why? Because the church is a mixed bag of people, has been, always will. Young, old, Jew, Gentile, rich, bankrupt, PhDs, those with special needs, conservative radicals, 
people who place their forks down or up in the dishwasher. A mixed bag. It is more conflict-prone than any other group of people on earth. How is it that we are to coexist? How is it that we truly tolerate one another, be family? Because it is amazing the tiniest of things can cause the biggest divisions and hurt and distress. That is what Romans 14 and half of 15 is all about. And verse 1 of chapter 14 is a great summary of what we can expect, what we're called to do. It says this, Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarrelling over disputable matters. Accept, welcome, tolerate those who have differing views within the church on disputable matters. Now, the first question we need to ask is what are disputable matters? Who, who decides what's disputable and what's not? Is it me, a pastor? Is it you? Is it, is it the church? Who, who decides? What, what are the parameters in which we're to accept? The one who decides what is disputable and what is not is God. He's the one who has authority of what matters. And we know what he said from his word, the Bible. Because there are times, friends, when we don't accept others. There's times when we disagree and divide, and that's seen as a good thing. 2 John, verse 10, there John is talking about some people who are teaching a message that is contrary to the Bible, and he says, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Now, he's not talking about their, those who are non-Christian, those who are exploring, those who are investigating, those who have doubts, but those who are promoting something that is contrary to the Bible. Don't accept them. That is seen as a good thing. And throughout church history, right, there's been times when division needs to happen. In the early church, right, when they're putting together the creeds, and I see an apostles' creed, they'll put together because there were some within the church saying, actually, I don't think Jesus was fully human. I don't think Jesus was actually God. As you go back to the Bible, no, no, no. God's word is the authority. This is not a disputable matter. Here are the parameters. 500 years ago, the Reformation, right, when the Roman Catholic Church was teaching things and saying, you need to add to your salvation, do things to contribute to your more likely to get to heaven. And yet when you look at the Bible, it's, no, no, it's faith alone, grace alone. It's all but Jesus has done, not what we have done. And a division happened. In the modern church, right, where some Christians want to redefine what sin is and say, no, it's actually not sin, particularly in the area of sexuality, splits have happened and will continue to happen because underneath that is a removal of repentance. They don't nearly repent. And that's a scary place to be because Jesus said, repent and believe. That's the way into my kingdom. So what seems as inclusive, actually excluding people from heaven, it's a dangerous message. And so there are times when we need to divide. There's times we don't accept. But all the time we're sitting under God's authority. His words are the ones to obey with. Now, to be honest, you may think, well, this doesn't sound all that tolerant, right? But to be honest, the church is not the only group that does this. Do progressives embrace conservatives? Do feminists embrace misogynists? Do environmentalists embrace those, those who love coal? No because it is against the core of their belief, right? Every group has parameters. Our parameter is what does God's word say, because he's the one who has the final say. But here in these chapters, Paul is saying there's a whole bunch of things, 
a whole bunch of things which either God's word doesn't address or doesn't prohibit that you're free to do or is not core to God's word. That's disputable. And when it comes to all those topics, we are to accept, embrace, welcome. But our problem is, right, we kind of make the small things big. We make disputable matters and say, no, actually, this does matter. We kind of turn core beliefs and say, no, 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 this is actually core to me, and we make it bigger than Ben-Hur. And that's when, as a church, we get into all sorts of trouble and cause hurt and distress. Now, the disputable matters chop and change depending on your culture, right? For Paul, in his day, there were sort of three that he articulates here. The first one is, have a look, verse 2, it's food. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another's faith who's weak eats only vegetables. Verse 5, specific days. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. And the third option, a third thing is drink, which I mentioned a bit later on. That there are a whole bunch of issues, a whole bunch of topics that are disputable matters. Alcohol, whether Christians should drink or not drink. Tattoos, whether a Christian should have them or not. A Sabbath, whether a Christian should follow the Sabbath or not. Schooling, sending kids to a private, public homeschooling. Your parenting styles, whether a baptism, baptise a baby or not, or an adult. Uh, women in ministry, who do you vote for? What type of music do you play in church? Church styles, traditional, contemporary. Church size, how big do you go? Clothing, what do you wear? Vaccination, uh, social, environmental, political issues. All these and many more disputable issues. And in this room, there'll be a whole bunch of people with different opinions, like any church. And they're disputable because either the Bible's not clear, or we're free to do it, or it's not core doctrine, core salvation. But when it comes to these, those around you have differing views on these matters, what we do is we see them as the weaker brother or sister. Now, No one, in my experience, has ever thought of themselves as the weaker brother or sister. Because if we did, we'd just change our opinion, right? We see others as the weaker brother or sisters, that they need to grow in this area. They need to mature. They need to change, right? You sort of have this sympathy, uh, sort of looking down. on The warning here is when it comes to those who weaker brothers or sisters, the danger or the warning size is how do we treat them? Let's have a look at verse 3. The one who eats anything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Regardless of where you stand on any of these issues, the danger for us all is either contempt, rolling of the eyes, or judgment, looking down. Give me some examples. The Christian who eats meat, talking to the Christian who's a vegan. How do they interact with one another? The danger is when a Christian who eats meat looks at the Christian who's a vegan and rolls the eyes and, oh, here we go. Yes, you're a vegan. Yes, I know. Just enjoy an eye fillet steak. Come on. And the Christian who's a vegan looks at the Christian who eats meat and says, where's your faith? Don't you care about the animal cruelty, the environment? Where's your faith? Judge and contempt. Parenting. The parent who's more attachment parenting, a bit more free, and the parent who's a bit more disciplinary and smacks their kids. They look at one another. 
And the parent who smacks their kids looked at the parent who attached them and parent and say, oh, you're so free. You're not supposed to be their friend. You're their parent. Get some control, right? And the parent who's attached to looks at the one who smacks and says, you're so barbaric. How horrific. The Christian who votes left, Christian who votes right, look at one another. And the Christian who votes left looks at the one who votes right and says, all you care about is money and your freedoms and your rights. And the one Christian on the right looks at the Christian on the left and says, all you care about, or don't you care about where we're going as a society? The restrictions happened on Christians. Friends, these conversations either out loud or in our heads happen again and again. And all of us are susceptible to contempt or judgment of the other, regardless of where we stand. And that's why verse 10, Paul says, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? And I know we hear that, but we think, you know what, but they're just being so ridiculous. Come on. Like, they're so backward. It's so naive. Oh, oh. Now, to be honest, I think sometimes we make these comments because it, it can either come from a good place or an unhealthy place, right? A good place is sometimes we, I mean, we've experienced the freedom that knowing Christ brings, Right? We're not Old Testament people. We're New Testament people, right? We have all these freedoms, and we want that person to enjoy, you know? We can eat bacon. Come on, join with us, you know? Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine, and it was good wine. Come and enjoy. It's sort of like this positive place. Come and enjoy, taste and see. But there's also an unhealthy place, right, where because our personal preferences, our lifestyle choices are so attached to our identity, that when someone doesn't share that or agree with you, we kind of feel threatened and we kind of want to change them so that in the end we kind of feel good and less insecure and validated. But as verse 1 of chapter 15 says, we're not to please ourselves. And the damage that can be done when we quarrel over disputable issues is devastating. Have a look, verse 20 of chapter 14. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. In other words, Paul is saying here, get the bigger picture. See the work of God what God is doing in their life, right? He's moved them from death to life. They're a servant no longer of sin, but of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is in them, changing them, transforming them. They're a child of God. See what God is doing in their life, but yet we focus on this tiny little thing. One issue I would love not to be disputable is that of talking during movies. I would love God to have, thou shalt not talk during movies as a command, right? I'm still trying to find it in the Bible. If you find that verse, do let me know. Oh, it bugs me. You know, the, the questioner, what's happening? Who's she? What's this? What's that ring? Yeah. Or like the, the word, oh, another worse one is the predictor. I know what's happening at the end of this movie. That's the bad guy. Yep. I think. And they make all these pretty, oh, be quiet. But the worst of all is the fault finder. The, look, my grandma, I love it a bit, but she's a fault finder, right? We're watching a movie once and she pause, 
pause the movie, rewind, rewind, right? The problem is press rewind and go back to the beginning of the film. So you sort of have to, by the time you actually get back to the scenes half an hour later, but when you get to it, hang on, her hair was up and now it's down. That's a mistake, right? And I asked my grandma at the end of the movie, like, oh, how'd you find the movie? Oh, it was good, except that mistake. That, that was, that, oh, gee, it annoyed me. And sometimes, friends, we can focus on the tiniest little things and we forget to see the bigger story, the bigger picture. And we do that all the time. I mean, the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us all in different ways and he's doing an amazing job. But sometimes we think, yes, but Holy Spirit, you need to sanctify them, change them in this area. And because you're not doing it quick enough, I'm going to step in and change it for you. And that always goes bad, right? It always goes bad. Because you'll notice these words that keep coming up. Do not cause your brother or sister to stumble, to fall, to be distressed. Because sometimes we pressure our brother and sister to experience the freedom that we have. There's a guy in our church, a recovering alcoholic. And he, I remember talking to him, he said the amount of times he goes to a party again and again where other mates who even know there's a recovering alcoholic say, oh, come on, just have one more drink. Just have a drink. Just one, just a sip. Come on, you'll be fine. Say no, because one leads to 20. And the pressure is great. Thankfully, he said, not that experience in the church, but sometimes we can do that, right? We can pressure just one. And sometimes we pressure because we want, though it's not a sin for us, though we're free to do it, we pressure them to do it, and it is a sin, either because it's got to lead to 1 to 20, or because conscience-wise, as verse 23 says, if they were to drink, it would be a sin, right? So we don't want to pressure people to sin. It may not be a sin for you, right? But against their conscience, right, where they stand with God, it is, and so we don't want to pressure people because we can pressure them to sin. Sometimes it's just stumbling, right, because we just talk on and on and on about certain topics, right? We make jokes at people's expense. Everything, ah, oh, come on, lighthearted, toughen up, and say, you know. But sometimes you can cause people to stumble, whether it's they question their own salvation or even just feeling the love of the local church. Because when you're the butt end of jokes again and again, it's hard to feel the love. And sometimes we cause just distress because we flaunt our freedom. What you're going to realize, friends, is it's the one Lord Jesus that saves us. But we're all on different journeys and from different backgrounds and different upbringings. Some of us come from a Jewish, Muslim, or vegan background, right? And... When you eat meat or bacon or pork in front of them, it causes genuine distress. So here Paul is saying, change the menu. Don't eat meat. Don't eat in front of them with them. For some people who either come from an alcoholic background or family or more a conservative background, for them, having wine or beer causes distress. So put it away. Change the menu. Some of you might have from more a progressive background, right, where sort of ethical clothing, ethical food is very important. And so don't talk as much about where you shop or where you got things from. Now, deep down, if we're honest, 
there's something in us at this moment that sort of comes out. We say, yes, but it's my right, right? Surely if God says it's okay, I mean, come on. Like, why do I have to change? I mean, if they're weak, surely we want to grow them, right, to be stronger. Come on, why do I have to change, right? But here Paul is redefining what spiritual maturity is what it means to be a mature Christian. Because often we think to be a spiritually mature Christian is someone who says, well, I know a lot of the Bible and I practice it and I see other people who are different and wanting them to follow God's word. And so I want to change them, educate them, enlighten them. Come along. But here, Paul is saying spiritual maturity is not saying necessarily agree. No, no, no. Paul doesn't agree. It's okay not to share personal preferences But spiritual maturity is saying, I'm not going to pressure you or make fun of you or say, come and get with the program because I'm aware of your background, your upbringing, and I know it's not easy just to give up like that. That change is slow. And so I'm going to tolerate. I'm going to use my freedom that I have to serve you. Because we live in a culture where the strong eat the weak. But Christianity says, no, the strong serve the weak. Where it's you before me at my expense. That's what spiritual maturity looks like. Why? Because that's what Jesus looks like. At the beginning and end of this section, really, almost like bookends, it begins and ends with the word accept. Accept. And it's such an important word because when we're dealing with someone whose faith is weak, different to ours, it's so easy to kick them out, right? But no, 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 we are to accept. And I love verse 7 of chapter 15. It's one of my favorite verses. Accept one another as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Let me tell you a story to illustrate. There's a teenage boy, lived on the streets. And uh, didn't know his parents, lived on the streets for many, many years. And one day he was walking past the house and noticed a number of times that the house seemed empty, vacant. So one night he crept round the back, found that rock that hid the key underneath and sort of went through the back door. No one was there. And so room by room he went and just took a bit of jewellery, bit of cash, bit of precious valuables, and then slipped out the back door, seemingly no one noticed. The owner of that house had CCTV footage, and he saw his place get robbed, and he saw the face of the boy who robbed him, and he recognised him. That's the guy from the train station. So the next day didn't call the police, but he went down to the local train station and went up to the teenage boy and says, hey, you don't know me for a bar of soap, but I want you to come to my place. I've got something I want to give you. Now, the next day, the boy didn't turn up. So the man went back to the train station and says, well, hey, you didn't come yesterday, but come today. Come today. I've got something to give you, something precious. The next day, the boy didn't turn up. So the guy went up to the train station and asked him again. The next day, the teenage boy decided to go to the man's place. But as he's approaching, he sees the house, recognises it, and he's about to bolt. 
But then he sees the owner of the house. He said, no, no, come, come, come. And so he comes, wondering, what is this man thinking? What is he going to do? He comes into the house, opens opens the door, and there in front is a meal for him. And he says, come, sit, eat. And then the owner pulls out of his bag, slowly but surely, a thick wad of paper. It's the deeds to his house. And he looks at this teenage boy and says, I want you to have this house. I want you to sign here because this house I'm giving to you. And the boy almost fell off his chair, gobsmacked. Friends, you and I have been horrible tenants in God's house this world. We have done so much more damage than stealing. And God knows. He sees and he knows everything we've done and yet says to you, come, come. And he gives you more than just a house. He gives you an inheritance of heaven. But more than that, he says, come, I want you to be part of my family. I know what you've done. I know exactly what you've done. And yet I want to welcome you as my son, as my daughter. When it says, welcome one another, accept one as Christ has welcomed you, that's the kind of welcome that Jesus did for you, to welcome you in at his own expense, death on the cross. And why we are called to welcome not only anyone, but also all the more our brothers and sisters in Christ, is we want to show people what we have been shown. We want people to experience the radical, undeserving grace that we have excelled us experienced. Our temptation is to kick them out, but we remember what Christ has done for us. We want to embrace and welcome and accept. Practically, let me end with three things. How do we do this? The first, personally, is quite hard. The first thing Paul the Apostle recommends is to keep your mouth shut. Have a look at verse 22. Whatever you believe about these things, keep it between yourself and God. Some of us love to talk and talk and talk, and God's word is telling us, ah, just shut up. Particularly when it comes to disputable matters. We repost articles on Facebook. We complain, we educate, we talk. But what God's word is saying, look, a bit of advice when it comes to the church family, eh, just keep it between yourself and God. Talk about what matters, not disputable matters. The second practical bit of advice Paul gives is, well, it's sort of tapping into my verse of the year. Verse 1, bear with one another, chapter 15. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. Bear with one another. In other words, put up with one another. It's hard. Look, it's hard. You hang around this place and, I, and you, you're really going to bear with one another. You bear with me, I bear with you, we bear with one another. Bear with the person who's ignored point one of keeping the things between themselves and God. Bear with one another who likes to talk about their dietary choices again and again and again, right? Bear with them. 
bear with the person who's into conspiracy theories and loves predicting about the end times, right? The person who's identified which US president is the beast. Just, just bear with them, right? Put up with them. Bear with the person who wants to educate you after only reading one article about all of a sudden how bad something is and can't believe that you're not changing in an instant, right? Just bear with them. It's hard. The third thing, though, is the most important bit of advice that Paul gives. Verse 19, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Over morning tea, in connect group, over conversations, over a meal, chances are someone will bring something up, a topic, their opinion, their thoughts, and what you'll find yourself internally happening is you're kind of going, what? Right, there's sort of this jarring thing that you believe that, right? You think that, right? And, and you'll feel it, right? You'll feel it in your gut. This sort of like, in that moment, pray to God for wisdom. But choose your battles wisely. Is this contrary to God's word, right? Is this a disputable matter? If it is, then let it go to the keeper, right? You don't have to engage in every battle, in every fight, right? Just relax, right? Now, that's hard, but we don't have to engage in all the discussions. Right? You're doing it because you want to pursue unity. You want to build this person up. You want to encourage them. So what that means is listen to them. Listen, where are they coming from, their background? What's their upbringing? What's their testimony? Where are they coming from? Listen to them. But also, too, as you're listening and discussing, it's totally fine to share your opinion, right? But as you're doing this, as you're highlighting your differences, can I encourage you, call them brother, call them sister. Because it is such a profoundly helpful thing to call, when you're looking at someone and say, yes, we disagree on this, and that's totally fine, but you're my brother. You're my sister. We are family at the end of the day. Paul, a number of times, is brother and sister, and he's not doing that just because he's encouraging you, when it comes to his family, call people brothers and sisters because we are family. We are different, yes, but we are family. When you're inviting someone over for a meal, ask them, what are you okay to eat? What are you not okay? What are you okay to drink? What are not? And then change the menu accordingly. Don't flaunt your freedom. Change. Now, is this easy? Nope. That's why verse 5 of chapter 15 says, God gives endurance and encouragement. You're going to need both, right? Endure and encouragement. But he gives endurance and encouragement and the same attitude of the mind towards each other that Christ had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, at the end of the day, why we ultimately do this, why we accept those who faith is weak, it's different, why we try not to dispute over disputable issues of fight, is because in the day, it's a worship issue. When we live out our unity in diversity, when we live out our oneness in our differences, and not, not just a slogan, right, but we actually do it, that brings praise and glory to God. That is worship. When we fight and squabble over tiny things that dishonors him. The other day, I was getting my kids ready for breakfast. And as they're eating breakfast, I had this big fight about which child was in the dream team. 
I don't know where they got this idea of the dream team, but they were all convinced that they were in the dream team. And so this big fight, I'm in the dream team, you're not in the dream team, I'm in the dream team. Even Thomas is too, saying, me team, me team. And they got really angry at each other. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, there's no dream team. Like, and yet 20 minutes later, there they are playing. Brother, sister, sister, seven, four, two. Playing shops. And they're playing together. Different ages, boys, girls, playing together and treating each other well. And that moment brought a smile to their dad's face. Friends, this is God's church. We are his family. He's placed you with brothers and sisters here side by side. And the question is, will we be that family? Will we accept one another, tolerate? Will we welcome? Will we be silent, servant-hearted? Keep small things small and big things big. Will we choose not to squabble over the smallest of things and accept one another the way Christ has accepted you? Because that brings a smile to God's face. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, most welcoming and gracious of Saviour, you are the judge of all, the master of all. And you, Holy Spirit, are transforming us day by day. We are a mixed bag, Lord, multicultural, different backgrounds, different upbringings. And yet, as your word says, we are one in spirit, one in the Lord. Have mercy upon us, Lord. We need your help, Lord Jesus. Help us to recognise the difference between disputable and indisputable matters. What is clear from your word and what is not. Help us to know how to relate to those who are different, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us how to know how to engage with those who are weaker, because to be honest, Lord, we just often want to avoid or run. Help us not to flaunt our freedom, but give us real gospel freedom and wisdom to love well the body of Christ as we seek to do all things for your glory. We pray this in your holy name.